0: Well, tonight, I think God has a special message for us. I'm very excited to be able to preach it in Psalms 17 verse 8, if you want to turn there. Psalms 17 verse 8, a pretty simple scripture, but profound. It says, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of of your wings, and when I saw that, I I was thinking along the lines of children. You know, when you're little, what children doesn't want to know that they're the apple of their mom or dad's eye? You know, they want to feel like they're special, and they want to feel a sense of protection that those parents are going to hide them under their wings. That they, you know, everything's going to be good. And I and and as we grow older. I still think that's something that we want, whether we acknowledge it or not. As we get older, we <laughs> we know we hide that kind of thing. Oh, I'm self sufficient. I don't need any of that. But we want to be the apple of someone's eye. We want to be the apple of our spouse's eye. And most of all, if we got any common sense, we need to be the we need to understand we're the apple of God's eye. And He's the one that looked over Jerusalem and said, "How many times have I longed to gather you?" As a hen gathers her chicks, you know, I just, I want to pull you close to me into that secret place under the shadow of the Almighty, under my wings. I want to protect you with, with my wings. And so I was thinking along the lines of when I was seven or eight years old, and uh, it's about the time my mom and dad got a divorce, I think, and uh, I was missing my dad. And I wanted to see him, you know. And so he said he was going to come get me one day. And I was at my grandma's house, and, and I was waiting on the stoop. You know, I'm just waiting for Daddy to get there. I couldn't wait. Daddy pulls up, and he's got some guy with him, one one of his drinking buddies, to be honest. And they were popping the top on a few, you know. And you could tell. But I didn't know at the time. And uh, I was like, Daddy, Daddy, hey, Daddy. You know, I was just really excited. And, and, and I didn't know what to say. You know, I was like, Daddy, let me show you how fast I can run. That tells you how excited I was, because believe me, I ain't never been able to run fast. He said, Sure, run down to the barn and show me what you got. So I whoosh, Took me about an hour and a half, you know. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I'm slew footed and slow and got big feet and everything. Probably even back then I was wearing eleven or something, you know. But anyway, he said, Come back. And so I'm running back and I'm on my way and I'm showing my daddy how fast I am. And he does this number here. And I'm thinking, I'm running into Daddy's arms. I'm going to be covered under those wings. And I run and jump into Daddy's arms, and he moves out of the way, and I go face first into the pine tree behind him. <laughs> about knocked me out. Bloodied my nose, and I was crying. And Daddy's like, oh, you're okay, boy. And, and his friend was just getting a big laugh about it, you know. Well, b- before you go put my dad down and all this, you got to understand that he was in his early 20s probably. He was drinking a little bit. He didn't know the Lord. So which one of us doesn't have a past or uh, regret some things that they did in the past? But to me, as a little kid, I'm laying there, and he's picking me up and trying to wipe me off. And I'm like, i got to go see Mimi. And I go to my grandmama's house. And I walk in there to my Mimi, and she hugs me up, you know, and she puts me in, under her wings. And she... Cleans my little nose off and loves on me and kisses on me. Makes everything feel better. You know, men do some stupid stuff. We can be really rough to our kids. Now, I'm going to want to go on that tangent right there. But trying to toughen a kid up, you know, it's a rough world out of there. we got we got to teach them what's up, you know. They're going to learn what's up. They don't need you to teach them. They need you to show them a different way. They, you need to be the apple. They need to, they need, they need to know that they're the apple of your eye, and that you, they have a safe place. You don't need to be the rough place for them. So anyway, it didn't toughen me up. It really made me more of a sissy. And I still have issues to this day, not because of that one incident, but because he wasn't in my life after much after that. We moved to Memphis, and he stayed down there. And, and so I didn't have that father figure. And I'm still, there's still things in my life to this day that I'm discovering, oh, that's what's wrong with me. I got a lot of stuff wrong with me. And I bet you do too. We're all, we're all messed up. <laughs> we are. And, it, and, a, and a lot of it is just from things, from somebody not feeling like I'm the apple of somebody's eye and somebody's got me. We need that. Can anybody tell me, what is the book of 1 and 2 Corinthians? What's Ephesians and Galatians and Romans? What are these? Well, they're parts of the Bible, right? And what are they? Why are they named these things? Who, Who are they to? Can't get anything past this next level punch. These are different churches. In fact, if we want to be specific, these are churches that the Apostle Paul himself planted. You know, they call him Apostle. An apostle is someone who plants churches and oversees their growth. He was also an evangelist because he actually started these churches. He went out preaching the gospel when the gospel wasn't cool. Over there, it was rough preaching the gospel, but he would preach the gospel to a bunch of people, and half of them would want to stone him, And then, but he would find a little pocket of other people that would listen. And you know what he'd do? He'd say, let's, let's meet back together again. And he would get them off to the side. I don't know how, exactly how he did it. I'm just guessing. But he would say, oh, and he would spend some time with them, several weeks or something before he would move to the next town. And as he was spending time with those few people, those few believers, he would turn them into a church. He would appoint one of them. Okay, you be the pastor. And you be the this and this this. And you lead the music or something. I'm just, because he would plant these little churches. And then he would go to the next town and play. And so after a time, he's got the Roman church, the Corinthian church, all these different churches that he has started. The little church in Ephesus and Philippi. And so he's writing these letters to the churches. These long letters. Paul was a busy man. Can you imagine? I mean, they didn't have... Limousines to take him to the next preaching gig. I mean, he was walking. He was hoofing it. And he was going there, and then, you know, he would preach, and he would start churches, and then he would leave, and then he would write letters. He was a busy man. Would you agree that Paul was a busy man? Turn to 2 Corinthians 11.23, and I want you to see how busy. 2 Corinthians 11.23. Because I know we got a lot of busy people in the church. And and believe me, when I talk to people about serving the Lord and stuff, that is the number one thing that keeps people from serving the Lord in our society today. I would if I was to estimate, I'd say that'd be about eighty percent of it. That that people say I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And I, and I don't doubt it. Because the devil has made it so that our society and, our, and the keeping up with the Joneses and paying the bills and everything that we got to do or we think we got to do is making us busy. I mean, he gave us a microwave, and we said, that's going to save us a lot of time. We don't have to cook no more, you know. But everything, he gave us a computer to make everything go faster, but we begin to realize every extra moment that we had because of the speed of the microwave or because of the speed of the computer, we filled with something else. Now this ain't. This is way off my message. But what happened is, is we became totally junkified, if that's a word. Our lives became cluttered. But it was like that back then. You know, not much has changed. We ride in cars. He rides on a donkey. But... In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, it says, now see, some of the people in the crazy church in Corinth, they started writing letters saying, Paul, you ain't all that. You know, you say, you're writing us these mean letters and stuff, but, you know, we got people here that can preach as good as you. We got this, we got that, you know. We got people with credentials. And they were trying to make their, you know, uh, pit people against one another. And Paul says, he said, oh, okay, I'll play your game. He says, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman because see, he don't want to sit here and compare himself to whatever other people have done. Be kind of weird. I'm sitting here saying, okay, well, I'm a better pastor than so-and-so. He doesn't want to say this, but he's trying to, to reason with these people. He said, are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. He said, I have served him far more. Well, I, I wish I could say that. I, I wish I knew that I served Christ so well that whoever they're talking about, I could say I served him more. But let's look at his resume. Knowing that he's a busy man, it says, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. In other words, he's been beat so many times, he hadn't. he's lost count. I faced death time and time again. See, when you would go into these towns that hadn't heard the gospel and you're preaching a new message, you're probably going to get beat by the Jews. You're probably going to get beat by the ones that are serving Molech and all these other false gods. They're all hostile to the message. But he refused to stop preaching the message. He said five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 stripes. He's a Jew. His own people whooped him five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now, he ain't talking about stoned like you thinking. (laughs) See, they beat me with rods. I had to get stoned for the paint. No. (laughs) He was stoned and left for dead. Because usually after you got stoned, you were left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I'd get a new ship driver or something. <laughs> Once I spent a whole night and a day at drift at sea. I have traveled, traveled Sorry, on many long journeys. I have faced dangers from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. You know, there are those out there. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty, and often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then, besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. My goodness. Besides all that, he's concerned about all these churches that he's planted. I'm the pastor of this church, and I can't imagine being concerned about a bunch of churches. It would be overwhelming to me. He's an evangelist. He's an apostle. He's an author. He wrote probably about half of the New Testament. Was Paul a busy man? I'm trying to establish that the apostle Paul was a busy man. How did he have time to write all these churches? Well, maybe he just wrote it to the churches in general. He just wrote a few brief letters, you know. But no, I see he actually wrote letters to individuals as well. What about the letters to first and second Timothy? First and second letter to Timothy. What about the book of Titus? See, Paul took young men under his wing. As he was raising up these churches, he was ministering, he was discipling. He was taking under his wing and making young men the apple of his eye so so that they felt a calling on their life, and they could become all that God intended for them to be. He took interest in the individuals within the church. He even wrote a letter to uh, somebody called Philemon. You ever seen that book in your Bible? It's just one little page pretty much. It's one chapter. Uh, Now Philemon was apparently an acquaintance of the apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul one time was in jail for preaching the gospel. I forgot to mention, he he spent a lot of time in jail besides all this. But he was like, cool, I get to write some of my letters. <laughs> Got time. But he was in jail, and he met this young guy named Onesimus. I never get his name right. Onesimus. Oh, help me. Somebody. Onesimus. He met this guy named Onesimus, this young fellow that was in jail. I don't know exactly what happened, what went down, but apparently the two started talking. Onesimus was telling them his story. Hey, I was a slave. You know, I was in bondage. Back then, you know, there was all kind of levels of slavery. You know, it wasn't all just, it was sometimes you were in slavery if you owed somebody something. You had to work for them, and they would call that a form of slavery until you paid off your debt. So there was all kinds of levels of slavery. We don't know what level of slavery Onesimus was in, but Onesimus had run from his master, and now he got caught, and he was in jail, and he was talking to the Apostle Paul and telling him his story, and apparently the Apostle Paul said, Did you say Philemon? Oh, I know Philemon. And so the Apostle Paul takes time to write a letter to Philemon and ask. Him, He says, I know that your slave, Onesimus, ran out on you, but he said, lay it to my charge. He said, I don't want you to forget now. I mean, you do remember that I was the one who led you to the Lord, you know, that, that you owe me your own soul. He was laying it thick. He was using all his leverage for this young man in prison. He led that young man, Onesimus, to the Lord. And now he was telling Philemon, When I send him back to you, don't treat him as a slave. Treat him as a fellow brother in Christ because that's what he is now. And he's been valuable to me here in the prison. He took an interest in just a prisoner in a a jail cell where he happened to be at this one time. And in Philemon, verse 10, part of his letter, he says, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison he called him his child he saw himself as his father figure his father in the faith now how many knows that we all know timothy he called timothy his son in the faith but this young prisoner he called him his son in the faith the apostle paul takes time to find people that he can minister to it was apostle paul who said follow me as i follow christ he, gave, he said, look, I'm going to be serving the Lord, and I want to take as many people as I can with me. I want them to see my life. I want to invest in other people's lives. Paul, though he had been shipwrecked, beaten with rods, stoned, everything that happened to Paul, he said, I count it all as dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I can't help it. I'm a junkie to love Jesus and love his people and to help others grow up and to find this same love that I have. And that's what his life was all about. Yes, he was a busy man, but he was busy about the work of the Lord. He had his priorities. and He knew what was going to be work that would survive from this life into the eternal life. Because Jesus said there's going to be different kinds of work when you get there. Some men build with wood, hay, and stubble. But some men work with precious gold and silver. It's going to stand the fire. It's going to translate into the eternity. going to make an eternal difference. And he knew he was a man with priorities. And young people were one of his priorities. He believed like Peter in 1 Peter 5.3 where he says to be an example to the flock. Turn to Titus 2.4. It's right after 2 Timothy. This is another young man, Apostle Paul. Invested his life into Titus two four. Now this is this is good because this is somebody who's m- discipling Titus and teaching Titus Titulus. Oh, I've been you too long. Titus <laughs> teaching Titus how to disciple someone else and how to tell other people how this process works. You know, we've been preaching on this. And we will continue to preach on this because we're here to develop Jesus' heart in you. It's what we do. We each come and learn that we may go and teach making true disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what the church is called to do, to go and make disciples. If we're just gathering a crowd, we ain't doing what Jesus said. Having a bunch of people sitting out there on them purple chairs all puffed up with a bunch of knowledge but not doing anything, that is not... What the gospel is for. But I digress. In Titus 2.4. He's, he's saying Titus. Older women must train the younger women. Can I get an amen from any women in here? I'm not saying you're the older women or the younger women. <laughs> but, <laughs> but either way. Older women must train younger women to love their husbands. Husbands. And their children to be live wise and pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourselves be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. And then I love what he says right here. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. You know, like when you got kids and you're teaching them how, what they should do, but are you doing it? <laughs> when you say something, people are looking at not just what, hearing what you say, but they're seeing the package. Is there integrity and seriousness in your teaching? Are you doing it? Mature Christian men, mature Christian ladies have an obligation to take young people under their wing, not just your children. But he's talking about older women must train the younger women, he's talking about within the church. He's talking about a different way of seeing church. Helping one another mature so that the Word of God is not misrepresented to the world. That they see something different here. You see, there's people sitting here 30, 40 years old. And they're wishing that they were the apple of somebody's eye. Wishing that they had a little more training. Feeling inadequate. Inadequate. Well, I want to be a Christian. I'm trying to be, but I'm scared to let anybody know that I really don't know much. I don't really know how to raise a family. I'm just winging this. If somebody would show me how to do my checkbook, if somebody would help me with this, and you may be an older woman or an older man in Christ, and you still have, we all have insecurities about who we are. We all can learn from one another but I'm telling you those vulnerable ones back in the back they need us they need us you're saying well I I, I say this all the time but it bears repeating. You're saying, well, I, I've messed everything up. I don't, I don't know how to teach nobody nothing. My whole life has been one mistake after another. Well, you you are in perfect position to tell, tell somebody what not to do. You have lived through it. You will make the best disciple. If you're on drugs, do you want somebody that's never been on drugs to tell you what to do? Or do you want somebody that's been through it and, and survived it to come out and tell you what to do? Some of us think, well, I can't do, I can't do anything because of my past. Are you kidding? You can do things because of your past. Now, Timothy was Paul's best known disciple. We pro- most of us probably already know that. Did you know the name Timothy means precious to God? That's awesome, isn't it? See, Timothy was vulnerable. Paul took us... Special interest in young Timothy. Because his dad was a Greek. That means he was a non-believer. His mother was Jewish. But his dad was a Greek. And how many of you know that we got families with believers and unbelievers in America. We got families with moms and no dads. Dads and no moms. And there's gaps. And, and I don't care if you got two Christian Parents. They may be young and inexperienced. But Timothy was vulnerable. And many people believe that it was during one of Paul's messages, one of his missionary, early missionary trips, that young Timothy got saved and came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when Paul saw Timothy was excited about his faith, and he was ready to live out his faith, Paul decided to invest precious time into young Timothy. Now, you know your schedule. Man, I just got, I barely got time. Most people ain't here tonight. Most people in the church would want to be here if their schedule wasn't so crazy. You barely made it here tonight. Now, pastor, you're telling me that I'm supposed to spend time with some young person in the church Do you have a clue? I'm not telling you that. But maybe somebody else is. But I'm not saying. I love this. These are little tidbits that I found out about Timothy. Paul personally, I don't know if he did it or took him somewhere to do it, but he had Timothy circumcised. That's kind of personal, but he wanted to take him on a missionary journey and people would know that his mother was a Jew and they, and back then there was all kind of stuff going on and issues and they wouldn't listen to you if you weren't circumcised and your mother was a Jew. And so Paul personally had him circumcised, took a personal involvement in the cutting away of of the things in this young man's life that would hinder his service to Christ. And I was like, do you want me to tell them that, Lord? But yes. Because when you disciple a young man or a young woman, one of your jobs is to help them cut away the things in their life that are hindering their service to Jesus. You teach them to cut away that which is useless. Especially the sin and the and the weights and the things that so easily beset us, so that they can run their race. Oh, and we're talking about cutting away the, the sin and the the busyness and the things that so easily beset us. Well, how are we going to do that? How are we going to teach somebody else that unless we are organizing our lives according to God's calendar. I mean, this keeps getting gooder and gooder. I don't think I'm going to get through with this thing because I, I, this is supposed to be a short message because we're going to take communion. But I mean, this brings up so many issues that I just can't help but stop and talk on it a minute. I, I see so many people like I talked about Sunday, they're in the driver's seat and they say Jesus is my co-pilot and they're making all the turns and making all the stops and, and booking all the, the next steps. And then they're overwhelmed and they're saying, Jesus, why aren't you helping me? But you ain't prayed to find out where you should go next, what turns you should take. You're making all the decisions and saying, Jesus, bless my mess. Jesus, must drive your life. He must steer the course of your life. Maybe we wouldn't be so overwhelmed. Maybe we would learn to say no to some things that seem good and say yes to some God things. Because there's a big difference. He can steer good, I'm telling you. But anyway, Paul would take young Timothy on missionary journeys with him. And like I said, they walked together. These these are month-long journeys, several months long. And you sleep by the campfire at night and you spend time. Our, Our young people need somebody to care enough to spend time with them. There's no way, nothing else in the earth, I don't care if you buy them stuff or whatever, they want somebody to spend time with them. That means more, and really, that's the that's the most precious commodity that we have. And so, Paul would personally teach Timothy how to be a man of God. He would model it. He would show him how to preach. He would show him how to do a funeral. He would show him, you know, make sure he was at all the church services. He'd get up on time. This is the way we do. This is how a man man behaves this is how you treat a woman this is how you do this this is how you show respect this is how he would he was teaching this young man how to be a man of god and later guess what timothy would become a trusted partner in paul's ministry an important part of everything that paul did and it says if you'll train up a child in the way as you go man You're doing that for a reason because they're going to be a blessing. Your children are supposed to be a blessing. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of those little children because you're shooting them in the right direction. And they're coming back to you with blessing. They're being a blessing. But today, well, I say I can't go there either. But later, Timothy would be described by Apostle Paul as as my own son in the faith. My own son. He looked at him like his own son. How many of you love your children? Everybody. Could you love somebody that's not blood kin to you like a child? Well, if, you, if that makes you feel so good to love your children, why do we just stop with the ones that we had naturally? When God has given us a big old family called the church with a bunch of needy children in it. A bunch of hungry people, young people, running, ready to throw themselves in somebody who opened their arms. You know, Timothy would eventually pastor the church in Ephesus. Apostle Paul trained him up. Be a man of God. In Second Timothy one three, Timothy, I thank God for you. He says, "You know this is." They think this is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote before he died. And who did he write it to? This young man with a Greek father and a Jewish mother that he happened to meet somewhere along one missionary journey. But in his second letter to Timothy, he says, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience. Just as my ancestors did, night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. See, he's praying for this person. Night and day, Timothy is on his mind and in his prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Sadly, I don't think he probably ever saw Timothy again on this earth. But I know he saw him again in heaven. With much help from Paul, Timothy would stay true to God throughout his life. History records that Timothy became a martyr at the age of 80. There was this parade going down through town honoring the false god Diana. And Timothy went out there and tried to stop it and started preaching the gospel, and they got mad and killed him. That's how Timothy died. Was Paul the perfect disciple-maker? No. Did he make mistakes? Yes. What about John Mark? Y'all remember the story. He took John Mark on a trip. That was another young man he was wanting to bring along. But John Mark, little mama's boy, ran home. After the first city or two, he said, I can't take this. They're trying to kill us everywhere we go. So he ran home. Paul got mad. I'm trying to invest in this young man. He didn't run off on me. Him and Barnabas got into it. When Barnabas wanted to bring him on the next missionary journey, their dispute was so rash that they, they parted ways. Paul had a little anger issue. Do you have to be perfect to reach out and help people? See, later on, Paul came to his senses. He was learning as he went. The Apostle Paul. Later on, he said, Bring John Mark with you. He's valuable to me to the ministry. He had made up with John Mark, that, that young man, and, and made it right. How many of you know you're going to make mistakes when you take people under your wing? You're going to let your emotions run raw. <laughs> when you're dealing with somebody that might have a lot of issues and you're not used to dealing with things, you're going to make mistakes. Does that mean we shouldn't ever try to help these young people? No. You don't have to be perfect to disciple someone. Paul was just a man. He knew his limitations. But he poured into the lives of these young people with what he had. And that's all God would ask of any of us. To give what we have. Timothy, Titus, Onesimus, John, Mark, probably others. These became Paul's mighty men. You remember David? He had 400 louts. That he found out in the wilderness somewhere and he turned them into his mighty men. And by the time he became king, they became royalty along with him pretty much. I mean, they became awesome men of God. And that's what God wants us to do. Paul mirrored his God and became a father to the fatherless. See, our God is called a father to the fatherless. And we're called to be in his image. I was raised by a single mom. I would have given anything. I, I I was ripe for the picking. If a gang would have come along, I would have joined it. If somebody would have showed attention to me, I would have fell for it. I was ripe for the picking. I didn't know what it meant to be a man. I was ready to be a man, but didn't know. And I was heading in all the wrong directions, trying to prove I was a man by doing all these wrong things. And I needed some guidance, and I didn't have it. Of course, we didn't go to a church to try to get it But how sad would it be for our young men and women here to to be crying out on the inside, somebody come alongside me and help me. Oh, I'm too busy, son. I ain't got time for that. Boy, if if I felt like I was the apple of somebody's eye, it would have made all the difference in the world to me. If I would have felt like it was a safe place, I'd have run to it. Because I was this little boy in this big world. Wondering what in the world am I doing here? Scared. I remember that I had a coach named Ron Doss, a baseball coach in high school. He was the first man that, you know, I would see my dad I'm, but about once a year. That just ain't enough. But this baseball coach, my 10th, 11th, and 12th grade year, Ron Doss. He took the whole team under his wing, but he especially seemed to take an interest in me. I guess he saw a wayward young fellow that was apt to go to the penitentiary soon if somebody didn't do something. And he taught me. He didn't teach me the Bible. He—I don't even know if the man was saved. I found out later he was, but he wasn't preaching the Bible to me. But he was teaching me, me to be a man with some sort of class, some sort of character and integrity not just some low life no good punk that has no clue about anything he raised me up and he got me helped me to get a college scholarship helped me to see the future moved me into to a different path because i might i'm not i might be dead right now if it weren't for me that man and then once i got saved i was once i got saved i'm still a young man don't know how this church thing works I'm listening to the pastor, you know, real good and everything, but it was Brother Tom who pulled me under his wing and says, come here, I'll show you how to preach. Come here with me. Walk with me. Let's learn how to do things God's way. Gave me confidence and courage. Started calling me pastor years before I ever became pastor. I thought it was, why does he call me that? But he saw something in me. Today I put a Facebook post out about my father-in-law. You know, I married the world's greatest wife and who knew I'd come with the world's greatest dad. And I got the best father-in-law in the world. And I put on the post today, every time I think about becoming a better man, how to be sweeter, how to be nicer, how to be more caring and all these things, his face always pops up in my brain because that he is the... Express image of these things. Gentle and kind and caring and praying and loving a man of God. It means the world. I'm 52, almost 53 years old. And I'm still a little boy at heart. Still looking for guidance from the more mature. I love this church. That's what's different about us. People care about one another, and we are sincerely trying to to be a place that helps our young people grow. I think about Van Roseberry, how he's reached out to Daniel for many years, and how Tony and Denise—where's Tony? Tony's back there. He's him and his wife mentor young children from youth villages. Go out, you know, it's way out in Arlington or Bartlett. And drive way out there, you know on the weekends to to mentor young children. How many people they've brought into their house over the years and let them stay there, you know, that needed a place. And I think about Amber and Brenda and how y'all have worked together with with Tiffany to help her get on her feet so she can work her job and, and reach out and help her like that. I think about Keith. Where's Keith? Keith over here. What about Corey came through here? What about Nick's come through here? Who else? Other young men come through here. And Keith takes a personal interest in them. I remember him uh, buying Corey his first car. I mean, that's the the kind of thing that we have going on in the church. I think about Rick. Where's Rick? Rick hiring young Austin Island. And... And while he's training him to do flooring or whatever, he's pouring the gospel into him. And it made a difference in young Austin's life like you wouldn't believe. A huge difference. A turnaround point. Because Rick was willing to invest. Anita. Practically a mother to most of the children in this church. A second mother. Pat and Kathy taking in young Nicholas. You know, Nicholas lives with them. Because his parents have, have moved off. And Nicholas himself and Bill back there. Doing more than just pastoring those kids back there. Doing life with them. Liking to spend time with them. Invest in those, those youth back there. I took a young kid named Terrian to McDonald's a couple of weeks ago. Bought him uh, a meal and sat down and talked to him. And after hearing him speak, you would have thought that in his eyes, Angie had hung the moon. He's like, Miss Angie this, Miss Angie that. Miss Angie, she brought us some tennis shoes. Because Angie had collected a few used shoes from our kids and some our nephews and brought it to him. And, and, and little things. But showed an interest. And, and invested in his life. And he thinks she hung the moon. Absolutely. And this whole church, how we make sure people can get to church who don't have a ride. The Sparks kids. I mean, probably everybody in here gave them a ride at one point. That's awesome. That's doing God's way. And it touches God's heart. We live in a world that often bloodies the noses of our children's innocence. Man, it's a dog-eat-dog it's dog world out there. And we need to shadow our young people with our wings of protection. 2 Timothy 2, he's still talking to Timothy. He says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. He said, you've heard me say it. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That's three generations right there. He's saying, I want you to set a principle. As I teach you, you go teach someone else so that they can go teach someone else so that they can go teach someone else. That's why God chose Abraham. He says, to be the father of many nations because he said, I knew you would teach your children after me. And see, that's what happens to a nation. When we've stopped investing in our youth and we turn them over to these public schools that have taken God out of everything, and we just say, oh, that's that's the way it is. We don't fight back. And we're throwing our children to the wolves. It's all about discipleship. Oh, Joe, would you go back and get the youth? As Joe goes back and gets these youth, I wanted the youth to come in and have communion with us tonight. As I've been talking about young people, we have an exceptionally marvelous young group of youth. And I don't know if they're all here tonight. It might be two or three of them. But as they come in, don't stare at them, but look at them. Look at them and and see through God's eyes the potential that they have. Then you let God do do the rest.